0: This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by the 2021 all-new Ford Bronco Sport, a 4x4 SUV with seven available GOAT modes that enable it to go over any type of terrain. But some of the most impressive elements are in the interior.
1: My full name is Carrie Kennerly, and I'm a color and materials designer at Ford Motor Company. I've been here forever.
0: (laughs) For Carrie, working on the Bronco Sport was a passion project the chance to bring to life a legendary vehicle for a new generation.
1: I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, so automotive has always been in my family.
0: Okay, so you are like true blue.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yep.
0: Members of Carrie's team went to great lengths to research design elements, camping out with off-road enthusiasts, and interviewing the kind of people that demand the most from their SUVs. The result are features like the available moly straps for securing gear, a concept that was inspired by high-end backpacks, hiking boots, and technical jackets.
1: A guy that was a photographer, he loved the idea of the moly straps on the seat back because he said he could put his camera inside and then he could connect his lenses with just the hooks.
0: But simply attaching straps to standard fabric on the back of the seat backs would never do.
1: So the fabric that is behind the Molly straps is actually a police grade fabric that we put in police vehicles.
0: Climb inside the Bronco Sport and you'll find a range of rugged features like a safari style roof and liftgate flood lamps for easier base camp setup. Learn more at ford.com/bronco. From Outside Magazine. This is the Outside podcast. When it comes to tales of adventure, there is often a predictable story arc. Usually, someone sets off on an epic trip. They encounter moments of great fear and near disaster. And they come out the other side changed, almost always for the better. I'm not making fun of these stories. In fact, I love them. And I truly believe that they are worth telling, even if you can guess what's going to happen. Because real journeys of transformation offer lessons that benefit almost everyone. But every so often, you hear about a different kind of journey, one that takes place beyond the parameters of a wilderness expedition or a global quest, and that allows you to truly understand the experiences of another human in a deeper way. Earlier this year, when we were hunting for episodes for our Wild Files series, producer Patty O'Connell came to me with just such a story. It begins with a child hungry for exploration.
2: I went to Montessori school, which is like kind of probably like hippie preschool, I think, basically. And they did an assessment of my learning style. And they were like, yeah, you know, Alex doesn't do very well with repetition. She gets bored really easy. And I, I would definitely say that's become a defining characteristic of my life. Uh, I think I'm always kind of like, what's new? What can I explore? Where, Where is a new adventure that I can find, whether it be on the bike, on the board, professionally in life, just kind of looking to kind of always find sort of new adventures and new avenues and new ways of looking at the world.
3: That's Alex Showerman. On paper... She's lived the type of outdoor life that many of us, if we haven't lived it ourselves, wish we had. She grew up in Thetford, Vermont, near Dartmouth College in the Connecticut River Valley. If you're picturing deep rolling woods, boiling creeks and rivers, wool sweaters, everything smelling like maple syrup, and anything else you might find in a mid-century novel about Americana, you're on the right track.
2: It was a pretty idyllic place to grow up. Uh, My house was an old 200-year-old colonial next to a covered bridge and a 50-foot cascading waterfall. I was born in 88, so I grew up in the 90s. TVs, smartphones, devices, all of that weren't as much of a thing. I did, did have like an N64. but So pretty much it was like no matter the weather, get home and get sent outside. I remember I'd make like luge tracks in my backyard for sledding And, like, pretend I was, like, an Olympic loser. I got a snowboard and taught myself to snowboard just hiking up and riding down and flailing a lot to learning to skate on the river. Um, You know, we had, like, terrible hardtail mountain bikes, and we'd set up, like, courses behind my friend's house and race each other and time them and, you know, go over the bars. And one time I remember I went over the bars and, like, the bike flipped up in the air and then, like, landed on my head and swimming holes, rope swings, climbing trees. Capture the flag, all that stuff.
3: When your childhood is a mixture of a choose your own adventure book and the good, lovable mischief of Huckleberry Finn, you tend to be a happy kid. And Alex was. But she also carried the weight of a secret, a truth about herself that she kept hidden.
2: I had a lot of girlfriends, and, and we'd play dress up and play make believe games. And, you know, I, I'd always obviously fall naturally into the, you know, being a girl in those. And I felt so comfortable. I feel bad sharing this story because my mom is no longer here. She passed of breast cancer. I know that she would be supportive of me. But this was in the early 90s. And I remember one time I was, you know, wearing an article of girls' clothing under my clothes. I think it was like a pink bathing suit or something that maybe a, f- a friend left. Because I was probably like seven. So I think I was inherently new... That I was not supposed to wear it. So I would like I'd put it on, but like put like T-shirt and like shorts over it. And I went into like the TV room and like sat down on the couch next to my mom. And I think like my shirt rode up. Then she saw it and was like, what is that? <laughs> Uh, definitely like her freak out and I can't remember the exact terms because obviously it was, like a long time ago, but definitely it was like bad things that are going to happen to you. And that freaks me out. It wasn't because like she was hateful towards me, but I think she was like scared of what the world would do to me. You know, obviously I'm uh, a trans woman and one of the things that's really important for people to know is when you every single trans person that I've talked to, we all know from like the the moment like my earliest memory, I remember like just identifying with my girlfriends and just like knowing inherently that that's who I am. I fell asleep every single night as a kid, like wishing and almost trying to will myself into waking up as a girl. And it was like, it was a nightly ritual. (laughs) I would say it started as far back as I can remember. I think it was a very like natural motherly reaction for my mom to be worried about it and have that like, oh my God, what's going to happen to you? For the information that she had available to her at that time, there unfortunately was no education out there to show trans people thriving in society and show that when trans people have access to gender affirming care, they're way more happy and less likely to commit suicide and, and, you know, just tend to be much more prosperous, happy people. You know, that information wasn't there for my mom to see that and know, oh, okay, my daughter's gonna be okay. And it, and if I support her, then she's gonna live a happy, healthy, fulfilling life. I think back on that story and that moment and I just think of how different my life would be if my mom knew like that I would be okay and that I would be successful and happy and instead of being scared for me, be like, oh cool, like you wanna go clothes shopping? Like let's let's go get the clothes you wanna wear. You know, and it would have allowed me to, like, just have a normal life because I would have been able to explore my identity when, you know, you're really genderless as a kid. That was the moment where all of a sudden I became really aware of the societal expectations and buried down my identity deep inside. And I think that shame definitely, I think, came to define me for the next two decades.
3: High school amplified that feeling and added confusion and darkness to it. Alex was bullied, called homophobic names, and had to deal with physical confrontations like being pantsed in the gymnasium locker room.
2: When you have that level of shame and you're so afraid to tell somebody, it makes you feel really like there's nobody you can fully connect with and trust, right? Because in the back of your head, it's constantly like, what if they find out? You know, I was convinced that I would just be, the moment anybody found out, that I'd just be disowned. To, like, reinforce that, I remember in high school, I was training for cross-country, and I remember, like, closing my eyes. This is crazy that I did it while I was running, but, like, closing my eyes, and, like, the, the person that I saw when I pictured myself was this, like, tall, blonde running with, like, a ponytail and, like... You know, tall blonde woman. That is what my brain tell, like has always told me. Like this is who you are. But imagine being in high school, going through puberty, the wrong puberty, <laughs> and like the torment that that causes when you're like, no, I know this is who I am. Your brain is like, this is what this is who you are, and then your body, and when you look in the mirror and how the world treats you, is the polar opposite of that.
3: Did you ever tell anybody when you were a child or or you know a teenager? Nope. About these thoughts and these feelings? Maybe my no? dog. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest confidant.
2: Oh yeah, you know. They aren't gonna tell anybody. But no, I I it was something that I I kept to myself.
3: And and how did that kind of solitary knowledge make you feel?
2: Alone. Then the other part of the loneliness, too, is even in the closet, I I always sort of wound up finding and seeking out, you know, female spaces. So like things like musicals I was in where I was like oftentimes like the the only, you know, the only person presenting male or my age or, you know, I actually was in a sorority of all things in college. So I always like found I always wound up finding these spaces But it was really frustrating because like I was never I was always like welcomed but never embraced because there was that sort of barrier of like, well, you're not not one of us. So it's like you're not full. We, we, We like having you around, but you're not like one of the girls. And that was really isolating, too. So it was like kind of being stuck in this like hellish limbo of like didn't feel really safe or comfortable around the guys and wasn't fully accepted as one of the girls where I felt safe and comfortable. So there was yeah, it was it was really lonely.
3: How do you think you dealt with that loneliness?
2: I would say I ran. <laughs> literally. I remember there's like this really funny story from when I was a kid and it was actually when we were mountain biking. I think I literally like just slammed so hard and like was definitely in a lot of pain and rather than like just like languishing on the ground in the pain I like got up and just started like running around in circles (laughs) and like that was how I dealt with the pain like it felt less painful to like run it out than to like sit there and be like ow I might be hurt I definitely sort of created this mentality of just keep pushing through it in high school it was like excel as much as I can get the good grades like do well in sports, do the extracurriculars, get into a good college, go do great at college, go get a good career. And I just kept pushing harder and harder and harder.
3: Alex's practice of running from the shame, running from her true identity, worked for a time. After college, she moved to Washington, D.C., where she got a staff position with a progressive member of Congress. She helped with research, policy tracking, and communication with constituents, but Alex was 70 pounds overweight and was deeply, hopelessly depressed.
2: There's probably two low point, like two of my lowest points in my life, and I would say that was one of them, where I just felt utterly lost because I did did everything I was told and was miserable. I just, you know, and I stopped exercising. I stopped running. I stopped, you know, I just, I stopped doing all of the things that really define who I am as a person.
3: What Alex needed more than anything was to get back to the mountains of Vermont, which she would soon do. And that would end up having a far bigger impact on her life than she could have ever imagined. That story after the break.
0: At the top of the episode, we heard from Ford Motor Company designer Kerry Kennerly about the interior of the 2021 all-new Bronco Sport. As Kerry explains it, the design team made sure that every inch of the vehicle is crafted to inspire adventure.
1: I am a mom and I have kids. We will go camping and we'll go bike riding and I've gone fishing and I want my vehicle to withstand to that. Meaning tough and rugged. Tough and rugged. This is the first vehicle that I've worked on that has had such aggressive rubber mats that are on the floor of the cargo area but then they're also there on the on the seat back. I mean, it's it's great putting lumber or whatever. You don't have to worry about it. It's ready for it.
0: The cargo area comfortably fits two 27.5-inch wheel mountain bikes. Then, there's the available storage under the second-row seats, which is ready to haul wet or muddy gear. Or... Maybe a few surprises.
1: You, yeah, you could put wet boots in there. I mean, if, if you have kids and things they find and want to bring home, things they collect, and you're like, okay, I guess we can take that with us, you don't really have to worry about it in a Bronco Sport. You can find a place to, to keep it. <laughs> it's not going to trash up and stink up the rest of your vehicle.
0: <laughs> Learn more about how you can outfit the new Bronco Sport to fit your adventurous lifestyle at Ford.com slash Bronco.
3: In 2012, Alex quit her job on Capitol Hill and moved from D.C. to Vermont to work for Democracy for America, a progressive political advocacy organization. Over a two-year period, she bought a road bike and a mountain bike and cycled constantly. She trained four and ran a half marathon. She got into splitboarding, backpacked, hiked. She lost weight, felt fit, got back to her outdoorsy roots. Alex says it helped a lot, but she still felt incomplete still felt like she was not her true self.
2: Now I've done the things that, like, feel right to me, and I'm still unhappy. (laughs) You know, the constant, like, knowing that, you know, I'm a woman was there, but it terrified me. So I was just like, well, I'm not going to ever be a, like, fully healthy, functional adult if I continue to ignore this. Um, So I sought out a gender therapist so somebody who specializes in gender related stuff. I went to therapy knowing like this was what I needed to talk about. I literally was physically shaking in the car, um, like sitting there just like shaking fear sweats (laughs) because it wasn't easy because I was afraid of how she would respond, even though I knew like it was a safe space. It was really scary walking in that door. You know, I remember sitting down, and it was, like, this cozy little office with, like, Himalayan salt lamps in the, like, non-functioning fireplace and a comfy couch. And she was just a very, like, gentle, kind woman. And I told her, and it just felt like this big release. It didn't take very long for me to be like, cool, I'm trans, I'm a woman, and this is who I am. What took me a really long time to accept was... What I needed to do for myself to live a happy, healthy life, which was come out in transition.
3: But Alex was too afraid to do that because she felt there was too much to lose. Back in Vermont, Alex had embedded herself in the outdoor community, not just with folks who liked the same mountain sports she did, but also professionally. She had moved away from politics and into work with outdoor media brands.
2: I was writing with, ironically, Trans World Snowboard Mag and uh, Backcountry Mag and getting invited to events like the Shaper Summit and Jackson, you know, finally starting to like transition out of politics into the outdoor space. So like to accept that I was trans and then have to face the reality of coming out in this space was a terrifying proposition to me because I I was convinced there was no way in hell the snow sports space would accept a trans woman and would welcome a trans woman. And I was convinced that I would lose these communities and career path that I'd been working so hard to, to break into. I spent the next five to six years Stuck in limbo, paralyzed by fear, where I knew who I was, I knew what I needed to do, and I was terrified of what the ramifications would mean. I was terrified that I would lose my relationship. I was terrified that I would lose my friends. I was terrified I'd lose my job. I was terrified I'd lose my community. You know, I was convinced that there's no way anybody would ever love a trans woman. So, like, I was terrified I'd spend the rest of my life alone and single. I was terrified I'd lose my family.
3: Did you feel like you were taking steps forward, or did you feel kind of like you were... Like a, like, like a truck stuck in the mud.
2: Uh, I felt stuck. You know, it's funny. I actually stopped going to therapy, I think in like 2016, because I was like, I know what I need to do. And it basically became just talking in circles. I think as much as I probably put on a happy face for the world, I think I probably wasn't the best person to those closest to me because I was just so... What it did was it just closed me off to the world where all of a sudden I knew who I was, and now I had to really guard this secret with my life and not let anybody know. So I just built massive walls. And I think this set me on the path towards my next lowest point in my life.
3: Alex describes this time in her life as a self-destructive path. For the next three years, she had suicidal thoughts, deep depression, and used alcohol as a crutch. Her childhood habit of running from the pain the loneliness had evolved to a darker version.
2: During the day when I couldn't drink, I'd use the sports as the way to, like, outrun my emotions and my fear. And then, uh, you know, and then after doing that, I'd then turn to the alcohol to, uh, to avoid my, my fear and anxiety. So I think what that did was it just created this space where even though I technically loved these sports... I wasn't doing them for the right reasons. I was doing them to outrun my pain.
3: That running and numbing can only last so long. Alex's internal struggle was eventually going to catch up with her. And in the summer of 2019,
2: it finally did. I just wasn't, I wasn't riding for the joy that morning. So it was a, it was a hot day in July and, you know, Vermont can get pretty muggy. And, uh, you know, I woke up. And just had that compulsive need. It was like, oh, I got to go ride my bike. So it was like 6.45 in the morning, jumped on my bike, rode down. You know, I lived like a mile and a half from Perry Hill, which is like my favorite network. So I did kind of my classic loop of Joe's into S'mores. Joe's is like this gnarly trail that has all these really cool rock features and roll downs. And and it's it's pretty much my favorite trail on the planet. And then S'mores is just like a, a, a flow trail. I can ride all the features on Joe's. And I just obviously wasn't in the right headspace because I, I either rode the alt lines or walked around them that morning and then got to the top of s'mores and was just kind of slow pedaling in my hand slipped off the handlebars so I kind of fell head forward was still on the bike and just went head first straight into the tree on the top of my head so it just compressed my spine like directly and experienced the most excruciating pain of my life. I just like writhed on the ground for like probably 15 minutes. Like finally started to collect myself to try and walk out. I went to pick up my bike and I couldn't even pick it up because it just hurt so bad. So I had to like leave my bike. I started like walking down the trail literally just like laid down because it hurt so much called my my at the time partner she came and met me and we just kind of slow walked out and that was definitely the most grueling thing i've been through
3: alex's then partner took her to the er where doctors told her the crash had severely fractured five different vertebrae and one had completely burst Alex was immobilized in a hospital bed for the next five days. Her spinal cord was intact, and she wasn't at risk of losing the ability to walk. But the injuries meant that doctors had to immediately fuse the vertebrae at the base of her neck, and she narrowly missed having a rod placed through the other spinal breaks. Alex rehabbed at home over the next nine months, the first two of which she spent in a neck brace and confined to a chair. The simplest tasks, like getting out of bed, Standing up and walking down the hall to the bathroom were physically exhausting and extremely painful, which meant that for the first time since she had abandoned therapy, Alex was forced to be still and deal with her true self.
2: I had to face everything and I had to sit with myself. And I think it gave a lot of clarity. Once I started to get clearance to start moving, you know, I was very mission driven on recovery. And then once I started to get to a place of of like, OK, I'm starting to get back to a level of normalcy for myself. I definitely I think from that time of like sitting with it, I was like, I, I you know, I can't continue to exist in this space that I have been existing in. It was like February, I made an appointment for hormone therapy because I was like, if I take this step, then I will take on- finally take ownership of my identity and also it'll finally take action in in healing and acceptance of myself. And I think why I was so inspired after breaking my neck was a couple of things. Was One, I learned with breaking my neck that inaction isn't healing. In that if I just was lazy and sat still, things would stiffen up and pain would get worse. But if I was proactive in taking care of myself, in doing yoga, in doing my PT exercises, in doing pain management... I would build strength, and I'd be in not in pain. So I think that I learned that emotionally, when you have hardship, you can't just avoid them. And that avoiding it only makes it worse. So I came out on the other end of this, just like, it's time to take action on this.
3: On March seventeenth, 2020, Alex began hormone therapy. But just as she was finally beginning her identity-affirming transition the pandemic hit. She lost her job and her health insurance. She split up with her partner, moved out of the home she loved, and moved across the country to Colorado.
2: It was really hard. And it was literally every single one of my fears coming to realization and having to, like, fight through it and find a solution and, like, build a new life for myself coming out of the other end. I literally had to face every single fear that I had and every single anxiety that I had in like the past two year span, I think overcoming all of that in every step as hard as it was has been this incredible liberation of not being afraid anymore, not being paralyzed by that fear. You know, what sort of the closeted trans experiences is It is not having ownership of your own identity and your own body, because society is telling you, this is who you are, and this is how you're supposed to present. And I think with that creates so much of the trauma of the trans experience in the closet. So to me, March 17th represents the day where I finally said, this is who I am. This is my body. This is my identity. I have ownership of you. That was really the day where action defined me, not fear. Vermont and Colorado have been where I've lived through this whole journey. And both of them are very friendly states. While I've been able to find community and freedom in these very liberal bastions of the world. It is scary going elsewhere. One of the stories from this past winter was my roommate. She's also a queer woman. We went up to uh, the Snowy Range in Wyoming to go snowmobiling. I had to go in and buy a, um out-of-state registration for my sled at the the Albany Lodge. You know, I walk in. And over the shoulder of the girl is the sign that says in this establishment, we're politically incorrect. And I kid you not, I had to go to the bathroom and I did not go to the bathroom because I was like, I don't know how she reads me and I will be probably unsafe if I use it. At the end of the day, we were loading up the sled on the trailer and both my roommate and I are, like, tall, blonde women. And these two guys are there, like, bragging how they got kicked out because they, like, followed some woman into, like, some some attractive woman into the bathroom and were, like, harassing her and they got kicked out. It's terrifying being either A like the only person that identifies like you or in a very, very slim minority. And then it's even more terrifying. Like, okay, it's hard. And then it's terrifying when you see things that are proactively threats to your safety. Like even something as simple of a sign that says, in this establishment, we're politically incorrect. Or, you know, two guys doing locker room talk about how they chased the hot girl into the bathroom and then when you're in states that don't have legal protections it does yeah it feels like free soloing. it's like you're rock climbing without ropes because like there's no legal protections for you
3: according to reports put out by the national center for transgender equality the human rights campaign and the fbi hate crimes against transgender people have steadily increased over the last five years just seven months into 2020 The number of transgender people that were murdered surpassed those killed in all of 2019. Living as her true self comes with a very real threat to Alex's safety. But even with that, once she took control of her identity, took ownership of it, Alex says she blossomed. She began working with outdoor brands to build welcoming communities and oversee nonprofit partnerships aimed at breaking down barriers and increasing access in outdoor sports. And Alex finally felt she was growing into what she's known herself to always truly be. A badass outdoorsy woman.
2: It's funny, like, I, as an athlete, am, like, way better and have done things that, like, I could not have done prior to coming out because of the support network that I found from my fellow women athletes in the outdoor space. Um, it's just that the, it's an incredibly supportive community. Um, and I'm so thankful for it because it's it's been so much fun to grow as a person and athlete with, with all my friends. I would love to go back to, like, my six-year-old self and just say, What you're feeling is valid. Here's how to articulate it. And everything will be okay. The reality is is that we know now that trans kids when given the space to be themselves, the chances of them committing suicide drops, their overall well-being increases. For me, so much of my trauma and like so much of the work that I have to do comes from the fact that like I wasn't given that space as a kid and then I was forced to go through the wrong puberty. So like my voice is deep That gives me a lot of dysphoria. Like, it kind of bums me out that, like, (laughs) you know, probably a lot of people are gonna hear this and be like, "Ah, Raj, her voice is really deep. And it's like, if I had had that space to just, you know, to know, like, I am trans, like, I know it, but like, own it and articulate it and like tell my parents this is who I am, it would have saved me decades of trauma. It would have allowed me to really just live a happy life. It would have prevented me from causing hardship to partners. So I wish I could go back to that six year old me and just say, What you feel is valid and everything's going to be okay. And tell mom and dad this is who you are and this is what you need. And I think that would have been an incredibly life changing. The way I would describe sort of coming out <laughs> is basically like dropping a hand grenade into your life and then then starting again. But it's created an amazing space for growth and learning and opportunity. You know, everything from professionally to personally, the connections that I've found, the job that I get to do now where I'm, you know, really working on on making a difference in the world to the chances to provide super positive representation, you know, are are things that I never thought were possible. My greatest joy is now I get to be a part of helping to build those communities and, and hopefully, like, make it so much easier for other people struggling in the closet to go, oh, there's a spot for me. Both through my day job and also just through, you know, existing in this space and uh, you know, hopefully help to break down those barriers and, and make it easier for other people so that way they don't have to be paralyzed by fear like I was. They can just be like, Yeah, this is who I am.
0: You can follow Alex Showerman on Instagram. She's at Alex Showerman. This episode was produced by Patty O'Connell, a.k.a. Patty O, and edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music for our Wild Files series is by Louis Weeks. This episode was brought to you by the all-new 2021 Ford Bronco Sport, a 4x4 SUV with seven available GOAT modes that enable it to go over any type of terrain. Learn more at Ford.com Bronco.